Friday Eve, Thursday night for those who like to keep track of the days of the week, and it is hot, and I mean extremely hot here in Florida, where today was a good 97 degrees, but last week in Vegas for a summer league, it was even hotter. The day that we left, it was about 115 degrees, so say what you want to say, either way, it's hot, but I'm glad that we're back here in the home studios. Uh, of course, I'm over in Studio A, my lovely fiance over in Studio B, listening behind the scenes and, and everything that's going on. But we'd like to thank everyone who showed up to the Basketball League and the Basketball Super League last week out there in Las Vegas, Florida. In Las Vegas, Florida. Here we go. Las Vegas, Nevada. Good Lord. First blunder of the night. But thank everyone who came out there. We really do appreciate it. Evelyn and David Magley, who do an exceptional job, along with Kelly, the commissioner, and a bunch of other folks behind the scenes. So I do thank you for that. But tonight... Normally, of course, as the football season has come around, sure, we love to talk some Eagles talk, but today, my co-host, yes, I will give it to him, the Kansas City Chiefs fan himself, he was able, and we are honored, to also have Scott Reese on from KCTV, which is uh, CBS 5 out there in Kansas City, so in case you guys haven't figured out from the initials, KC out there in Kansas City, so Scott will be on with us. Also, the history behind Scott, you guys are going to absolutely love him, hopefully, as we have him for a couple minutes as he's at the sports desk. And if you guys remember the promo from yesterday, I said he was right behind it, and he is there today as well. So we can't wait to have Scott on. It's going to be a great night. And, yes, we are talking maybe maybe some Eagles as well afterwards. But, nonetheless, it is KC night, and you can thank Ryan as soon as you guys see him on the screen for talking about Kansas City tonight. But, nonetheless... It is episode 191 as we inch closer to episode 200, the milestone coming up here just during football season. And with that being said, I am Angel Martinez, and I thank you for tuning in to Broad Street South Sports Radio 102.9 FM, the game, and also over on Amp Radio. And speaking of, I got to make something live here in a second, but nonetheless, thank you so much. We appreciate it, and let's get the show underway. Right over here, and here comes the man, I guess the non-myth and the non-legend, who is my co-host, Ryan F. Ryan, how are you this evening? Angel, how the hell are you, my friend? Finally, I get to talk a little Chiefs, and I don't have to hear about any Eagles talk tonight, unless Angel brings it up later. Scott Reese on the night, author of Where They Were Then, fantastic book, fantastic read. We're going to pick his brain about the Chiefs. Delve in a little bit where he's been, how he got to where he is. And I said before the pre-ship, I'm not going to bring up the Royals too much. Okay. We'll see. I mean, you know, easier said than done, but I'm not going to let you brag too much as we do have <laughs> Scott Reese with us here from KCTV channel five CBS in Kansas city and taking some time with us here this evening. It is Scott. Scott, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We are truly honored. Uh, it's fun. You know, I get to talk Kansas city sports. So, you know, I'm just doing my thing guys. Good to be on with you. Thank you. No, no problem. And at first coming already coming in from Rick Marcus, great friend of the show. So thank goodness. It's not Debo as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting, but it's got to, as Ryan brought up, uh, where they were, where they were then your book, it, it is really interesting, it, a real fun read. And if you guys don't know, it's it's uh, back from November of 2021, if I remember correctly. It is available still on Kindle and on paperback. But the nice part about the book, as we talked a little bit uh, off air, was 
that these stories and the people that are in the book tell such great stories because as you say, that the road to becoming a broadcaster or sportscaster is not the easiest one sometimes, you know, and, and of course I'm not going word for word what you're saying here in the book, but it, it's not the, the easiest road, but it's a fun road to get there. And the stories that are told in between are quite amazing. Yeah, you know, so the uh, people always ask, you know, wh where did the, the book come from and what was the idea? And, you know, it started in a bar, as most good ideas do. Um, you know, I'm sitting there having cocktails with a friend of mine, and I was regaling her with stories of my small market TV days in Utica, New York, back a million years ago, and just all the, the silliness and, and ridiculousness that goes on in small market television that most people don't know anything about. And she said, God, this is great stuff. You should totally write a book. And I said, well, that's great. But, you know, I, my life may be a pamphlet, not a book. I don't know that I could sell it. And she said, well, you got all your, your old ESPN friends. Why don't you have them all, you know, contribute and, and, and do it that way? And I thought, you know what? That's genius. And so I reached out to, you know, some of the, the, the guys that I kept in touch with from, from Bristol. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you had Scott Van Pelt and you had Kenny Mayne and Trey Wingo and Buchagras and Stan Verrett and Neil Everett, who unfortunately just uh, just uh, left the network. And 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 now you've got like heavy hitters in the TV biz all contributing a chapter on how they got from nothing to kind of the king of the broadcast hill. And they're telling their own stories in their own styles. And so it, it really it was a fun project. I know the guys had a lot of fun. And I mean, honestly, like reading Scott Van Pelt tell, you know, in 15 pages, you know, the story of how he went from not even on the landscape of, of TV broadcasting to now the, in my opinion, one of the best sports broadcasters on the planet. It, it's pretty fascinating stuff. So uh, again, you know, the, the book is on Amazon. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I had a ton of fun writing it, but I think these guys, the contributors really made the book. I think so as well. I mean, because again, and we saw the shakeup as well as ESPN. I mean, it's, you know, you can't not see that because it, it was, I think, amazing for a lot of people. And there was rumors and, and talks about it. But again, when you hear rumors, it's like everything else. You hear rumors during the NFL offseason, all kinds of rumors. But then it happened and it's kind of surprising. So, and I won't even get into that because that's just, you know, it, it's a shame for a lot of people that, that we've known and loved for many years on ESPN. Um, I know companies have to, sometimes resize because uh, no one likes to say the, the words that used to be used before, but you know, they, they downgrade, move people around. Um, so it's, it's just, it's a shame the way it's working out, but I know a lot of these guys and girls more than likely now that podcasts have become a major platform for a lot of people to still stay connected with the fans. You know, that's a big thing. So I'm pretty sure we won't see them go away. And I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of them end up getting together uh, since this is the new world as We've seen it before. You know, we've had people do podcasts before. No one really paid attention to them. But now it's become such a great thing because you can and do and say whatever you like, um, still to a certain extent because you want to keep it professional. But yeah. it's what everybody loves to do. But, you know, going around, Scott, because you, you've been around the Bay Area, uh, you've been at ESPN yourself, uh, Emmy winner, which I forgot to say, you know, obviously the sports director for KCTV. But being around all those different areas and, and even being in Utica, New York, the smaller markets, and, and you had mentioned it a little while ago before we came on air here, you said it perfectly where a lot of people don't ever talk about the smaller markets because we don't get to see you guys until you get into the bigger markets or unless we were in your hometown. So I, I want to go back 
when when you first started, and there's of course a lot of pictures out there on Google, and it showed Scott from his start to where you are today. But coming from the small market, what was it like to first start off within the business and then leading up to where you are today? Gosh, you know, I, I will try to, I could take about three hours to answer that question and I'm <laughs> going to try not to do that. Um, you know, for me, um, it, trying to get into this business was a rude awakening. I mean, I graduated from Stanford and, you know, I was watching, you know, all my peers and my buddies go to <clears throat> law school or med school or take, you know, six figure a year consulting jobs, uh, going to Wall Street, just incredibly successful people. Uh, and here I am trying to get anybody to put me on television. And it took me close to a year after college with nothing. I mean, zero. I had a couple of interviews and just, you know, jobs are incredibly difficult to get because everybody wants to, you know, do this for a living. It's fun. Um, I wound up having to take essentially an internship across the country in Panama City, Florida. I moved there with no promise of a salary, uh, no promise of ever even being on air. Basically, the guy was nice enough and took pity on me to say, all right, we're a small station. We're just starting up. You seem like a nice kid with a head on your shoulders. Come on out and we'll, we'll put you to work somehow, some way. And, you know, you can get your feet wet. And I actually had to enroll in Gulf Coast Community College in Panama City, Florida, just because just to be able to work for free at the TV station, because otherwise you're not allowed to do it. So long story short, um, if this wasn't a passion of mine, if this wasn't something that I was determined to do at all costs, Never would have happened. Never. There would have been no ESPN. There would have been no Stanford play-by-play. -play, there would have been no KCTV5 sports director. I don't know what I'd be doing right now. Um, and I think that's the aspect that, you know, it's obviously well chronicled in the book, but that's, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is how incredibly competitive and difficult it is to get into this business, let alone to move up. You know, you finally get the job in Panama City and then, you know, you want to go to the next station in Utica, New York. And well, there's there's 200 applicants for the one job, right? And they may or may not want a male. They may want a female. I mean, there's just so many things that could be working against you. So um, it's really a miracle that any of us succeed, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but you know, the other part of your question in terms of what it was like, I will tell you, I, I got to ESPN in 2000 and uh, I was hired with about six or seven other people during the course of that year. And in fact, Stan Verrett, Neil Everett, Matt Weiner, a lot of names that people know were hired the same within a month or two of me. Stan and I started on the same day, literally. And, you know, it was about a year and change before I got to do my first sports center. And the feeling of sitting on the sports center set for the first time, there's no describing it. You know, feeling like you have, you know, reach the pinnacle of your wildest professional dreams. You know, you're looking around and you're seeing, you know, the, these folks next to you. And it's like, I get to anchor this show. I get to, to do this. And so I, I could talk again. I could talk for hours about ESPN, the pros, the cons. There were some unbelievable things about it. There were some decidedly less than unbelievable things about it. Right. But that feeling will never be replicated. It couldn't possibly be replicated for me. Yeah, it's awesome because there's a lot of stories that we don't get to hear. And I think, you know, you, you again, nailed a couple of things because it, it to, in order to do this and, and to do it because you, you have fun with it and, it and people have heard me say this over and over again, and I'll continue to say it. The day that this stops being fun, I'm done because it's, <laughs> it's not even worth it at that point. So yeah. thankfully with, with the people that, that have helped me along the way, you know, Ryan being there with me as well, 
A couple of the guys have been on and off the show. You know, it, it's fun, but you have to work hard for it. It's if anybody hands you something, you got to question it because then you're not working as hard because you're not determined. For me, it's one of those things that three years into it and friends that are still on, on the radio back home in Philadelphia and they've been doing it for 12, 15 to 20 years, you know, including some people down here in Florida who have who've moved from the Philly market down this way. But it, you have to work hard at, at at your craft, but have fun with it at the same time, as you said, because if not, it's just it's not worth it. So you know, it it is a dedication um, for some of us. We have our full time jobs during the day. Then you have this full time job with the, your your studio to make sure things are fine. Thankfully, again, with Ryan, he reaches out to a lot of uh, the people that he helps me on the back end of things where I'm not available for. But again, it, it's I'm happy that you're at least where you are today, that you've been able to pretty much run the circle of life when it comes to media. And then being out there in the Bay Area, which, uh, again, I may not be a fan of the Giants, but I know that you had your experience as well being out there in the Bay. So now we see, before I turn over to Ryan here, we see Oakland, obviously athletics, now making the jump over into L.A. What's your feeling? Was it a good move or a bad move? You're talking about the A's going to Vegas? You're talking yeah. about – okay. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I it, it makes me sad. Um, because the fans in Oakland deserve better. Uh, and it's cliche and it's easy to say that, but I was there. I mean, I covered the A's a lot during the six years that I was with KTVU out in the Bay Area. Uh, and it's a storied franchise with a ton of history, a great fan base, but a god-awful stadium and something had to give. And it looked for a while like they were going to get a new stadium project done right by the waterfront in Alameda, in Alameda, and the mock-ups were fantastic. It looked like super cool, and it was going to have gondolas, and it was going to rival the, the Giants uh, and what they've got going over there at Oracle Park. Uh, but uh, the parties involved couldn't all get it together. There's some question as to how dedicated Major League Baseball was to keeping the team in Oakland, and now it looks like they're going to be in Vegas. And so now you have a city which uh, lost the Raiders – you know, to, uh, to, to Vegas, lost the Warriors, you know, same market, but lost the Warriors who now they moved across town to San Francisco and now they're going to lose the A's. And, you know, for a town like Oakland to essentially lose three professional sports franchises in a five-year stretch is it's mind boggling. It's, it's so sad. And, and again, my heart goes out to the fans there. I mean, my son, you know, it, it was, was somewhat of an A's fan, you know, before we moved out here and it's, you know, it's tough and it's, it's, it's always been difficult to watch the small market teams struggle because of the financial disparity. And obviously I'm living that now with the Royals, but you know, with the A's, it's a whole nother level because, you know, they went from a playoff, you know, legit deep in the playoffs contender for a few years, not that long ago, you know, then they have the fire sale. Everybody's gone. Now they stink. And Oh, by the way, you know, now you're going from having a bad baseball team to no baseball team. And it's just, it's really sad. John says, uh, what's up, guys? I love giving my knowledge of sports to someone that really doesn't know the game. It's almost like you're giving back. True. Sean, great. Another great friend of the show here. Uh, absolutely true. But uh, Ryan, of course, you have the floor, sir. <laughs> All right, Scott, let's get down to the nitty gritty here. <laughs> oh, boy. So, Super Bowl's over. Right, and he froze. Oh, <laughs> did the Eagles fan just uh, just sabotage the, uh, the, the the Chiefs discussion? <laughs> he sure did. So a couple of things. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're hoping not for a Super Bowl hangover, but 
couple of issues I have with the Chiefs in the offseason. One, they still haven't addressed a top-notch receiver. I know the the core receivers they have are serviceable, but come on, man, you got you have to compliment Kelsey like Hill did. And then the other thing is Pacheco's coming back. I know you still have Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but it it's almost like the Chiefs said, okay, we won with this nucleus last year. We have everything in place. Let's see what happens again. What say you? Uh, so a couple things. First of all, don't forget about Derek McKinnon because he was huge last year. Right. And I think that that combination of, of Pacheco, who's only going to get better in year two, and McKinnon as a, you know, the, the change of pace, pass catching third down kind of back, you know, with CEH as sort of the backup, you know, in reserve capable guy. Uh, I think they're fine there because this is obviously a team that, you know, they don't need 25, 30 carries a game with this offense. Um, I think the receiver issue, it's look, it's the low hanging fruit, right? It's the obvious whenever you see an ESPN or anybody puts out a poll of what's the biggest weakness on the chief. It's always, well, they didn't address the receiver, the receiver uh, position group. I will say this. um, You're correct. It would be great if they had a Juju Smith Schuster equivalent. Not that he was a world beater, but he was a really good, solid guy in this offense. And he was kind of their de facto number one receiver, right? He's not Devontae Adams. He's not Justin Jefferson. But in this offense, he was the number one. And that was what they needed. They didn't replace that. And I think in most cases, I would look at this group and say, yeah, they're in trouble because they don't have that guy. But this team defies logic, as you know, Ryan, being a fan, A, because you've got Andy Reid, B, because you've got Patrick Mahomes. And C, and maybe most importantly for this discussion, because you've got Travis Kelsey, and he is the number one receiver in this offense. So would I like to have a Juju-esque guy? Absolutely. But I will say this. If Kadarius Toney, A, stays healthy, and B, keeps his head on straight, I think that it is not unreasonable to think he might put up those numbers this year and develop into that number one guy, because he's got the pedigree, he's got the talent. And then your problem's solved. I think Sky Moore is a kid who they really like. All the reports are good, and he could take a second-year jump to being a, a you know a nice piece in the slot. And then you have MVS who does his thing. He's a complimentary guy. But that group with a sprinkling of Justin Watson, and you know, they bring in Richie James, but but Travis Kelsey obviously being the 1A, they can still be the best offense in the NFL. Now, will they be? Time will tell. We'll see if there is a drop-off without Juju. But this group, even without that true number one, in my opinion, can still be the best offense in the NFL. I think that's a pretty telling just, statement. Just a follow-up question, I know you got to go. Yeah, um, no, you're fine. You got go ahead. Um, well, two things then. <laughs> yeah, one, bring them up. <laughs> they better hope that Patrick Mahomes does not get hurt. Because yes. I don't have any trust in Blaine Gabbert. I don't have any trust yes. in any of the backups. And then the other thing, on the defensive side, you know, they've gotten away with it with sort of a mid-tier defense the last maybe three, four years, but I'm interested in the sixth round pick. Six foot two, three hundred and forty-four pound defensive lineman, Keandre Coburn. Is this the slug <laughs> in the middle kind of guy to free up everybody else that they've been looking for? It is entirely possible. Now I'm not gonna tell you that I can speak intelligently on the complete college history of Keandre Coburn and whether that will translate to the NFL as a sixth rounder and that dude's going to become a star. But 
He is incredibly likable. I can tell you that just from the introductory press conferences. He was the guy yesterday when the rookies were reporting for training camp or two days ago who was lugging like an entire house worth of stuff in carts and suitcases and pillows and everything. Big smile on his face. So it's a guy you can't help but root for. And certainly he's going to be given every chance to fill that role on this team. Um, I will say this about the defense, and, and Ryan, just for you, I actually broke out. I, I got the Chiefs football here. To, to my allegiance. I, I will. I will say this about the defense. I really like this defensive unit for a couple of reasons. One, I think the secondary is only going to get better because all these kids who were thrown into the fire last year, you typically see a, a jump from year one to year two, and they've got a lot of guys who fall into that mold. Um, secondly, what did George Karloftis do the last six or seven games, right? right? So he's a guy who, again, if he takes another step, you've got a guy opposite Chris Jones who can really wreak havoc. I like the draft pick of, of Felix Anudike Uzama. Again, watching him at K-State, a guy who can contribute immediately as a pass rusher. And the guy nobody's talking about is Charles Amenihu, who has had some off-field issues, and it's possible there's a suspension mixed in this year, a la Frank Clark last year. But this guy can be... I don't know if I would say a star, but he'd be a really, really good player on that defensive front. Nobody's talking about it. I think he can be better than what Frank Clark was last year. So the bottom line is you add all that up. To me, this defense is better this year than it was last year. And if you give Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes a top eight defense in the NFL, I'll take my chances. Do, do you think, though, that they need to get a decent backup quarterback to Mahomes? Because the guys on the roster now, if Mahomes right. goes down, I don't trust any of them. No, but honestly, who is out there that you would trust to keep the team? At, I mean, nobody's going to – you can't replace Mahomes, right? I mean, you're not going to have Justin Herbert as your backup. You know what? They're just right. – the, the, the guys who are out there are backup quarterbacks for a reason. And would you be better off with a Teddy Bridgewater instead of Blaine Gabbert? Yeah, probably. But there aren't that many of those guys who are the sort of you know quintessential – serviceable backups. So I think that, you know, look, if Mahomes had gone down last year, would you have felt good about Chad Henney leading him to a Super Bowl? I mean, you know. Trust yeah. him more than what they have on maybe, the roster. Maybe, maybe, And look, I, and, I, and obviously, you know, Blaine Gabber is what he is, but he's a veteran, been around a long time. He's not going to be frazzled. He's, he's not going to be overwhelmed by any situation. And, you know, I think that anybody that you put in this Andy Reid offense is probably going to be better than they were in somebody else's offense. So at least you can hang on to that. Uh -huh. so I, don't, I don't know if you have a follow-up, but I know, I know he's got to run. So Yeah, no, it's fine. I, you know what? T t take it to the bottom of the hour. I'm good. All okay. right. Well, I, I want to bring up because uh, as my co-host said that we hope that Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> for me, it, it, um, <laughs> I can be self-opinionated, but – we hope that, that Patrick Mahomes doesn't get hurt, but something interesting today that happened <laughs> almost made him hurt. So I want to bring this up for those who didn't see it out there. So for those, uh, and there's no audio to go along with it, but you can hear it kind of lightly. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is dodging the wasp out there, and you can kind of see Kelsey almost like a boxer trying to take him out. And you know, it's just it's funny how certain things you know we can be okay with, and some other things that we're absolutely petrified. And wasps are not obviously one of those things that you want to deal with because they're the worst. 
But uh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. Was he dodging the wasp or was he practicing the carousel move <laughs> that, that they ran last year? <laughs> I don't know, but I can almost guarantee you that there will be a Chiefs play this year called Wasp. <laughs> I, I can guarantee you. Well, you know, it's the same way. So Andy Reid, obviously, he didn't leave Philly the way he would love to have. He, he wanted to win a Super Bowl here. If there was a thing, and I've said this for years, if there was a regular, until he won his first one, if there was a such a thing as a regular season Super Bowl coach, then Andy would have won it because of all the ones he won in Philly. Then the same thing with Kansas City. Uh, he's been fortunate to win two in KC. Me personally, and I know Andy loves the game. I mean, it, it, uh, it was rough for him with his sons. Uh, lost one. Obviously, the other one's still going through his issues. But, you know, for, for Andy Reid, obviously well-loved in, in KC. Will always be loved in Philadelphia. I think, though, Scott, now it kind of it comes to the point because 10 years in both cities here. When it comes down to we, we all know there's a day he's going to have to walk away. Let's just say Andy happens to win his third one this time around. Now you win three with KC, but your career as a head coach started with the Eagles. It doesn't make it tougher for Andy to say, well, if I retire as an Eagle, even though I have three rings with KC, the Philly fans can forgive me. But <laughs> if I choose to retire with KC, with those three rings, are the Philly fans going to hate me? So if you're Andy Reid, which route do you go? Oh. Yeah, I, I would think so. <laughs> I mean, look, the, the, and he wouldn't even entertain that question, right? Right. Because, you know, he, he is all about, you know, the past is the past. Um, he has nothing but love for Philly and the fans. But, I, I mean, he is a chief and he will retire a chief. And when he goes into the Hall of Fame, he will be thought of first as a chief because of the rings and the success here. You know, with the caveat that anybody who really pays attention to football will know darn well that he was a terrific head coach for a long time in Philly as well. But right. I, mean, I don't think there's any question. He's not going back. There, there, there's no – that chapter is closed, mm -hmm. and, you know, this this is his present and his future. No, I agree. Ryan? Scott, I didn't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, the Royals. <laughs> so I didn't want to do it, but – I'm a long-suffering Pittsburgh Pirate fan, so I know what the fans are going through out there. Where did it all go wrong, and where wow. the hell did they go from here? <laughs> well, all right. So just just to show that I'm equal opportunity, I do have the Royals koozie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not pretty, Ryan. It's not it's not pretty. After today, I think they're 42 games under 500, which is tough to do with still, you know. A, more than a third of the season left. Um, where did it go wrong? Well, look, it, it went wrong after they won the World Series. They had one more pretty good year in 16, and then they remembered they were a small market team, and they let all the high-priced guys walk, and they tried to rebuild. And they drafted a bunch of pitchers, and they didn't work out. And then last year, they committed to the next core of position players that they thought – and still think to some extent will be the group to sort of lead this team back into its next phase of contending. Bobby Wood Jr., MJ Melendez, Drew Waters, Michael Massey. Um, 
mixed results to say the least. Um, you know, I, I think Witt is going to be a superstar. I think he's, mm-hmm. you know, putting up numbers already that most of the country doesn't realize because he's in Kansas city. But I mean, he has a shot. If he has a hot second half, he has a chance to be a 30, 50 guy this year, 30 homers, 50 steals, which would be the third in history, I think behind bonds and Eric Davis. Um, but the problem is the supporting cat and Vinny Pasquantino, nobody's fault. He got hurt and, you know, was arguably their best hitter at the time out for the year with his shoulder. So that's nobody's fault. It's bad luck. Um, but the rest of the crew has not lived up to the billing to this point. So you have an offense that has really struggled behind Witt and Salvador Perez to score runs. But the bigger problem is pitching staff looks worse now than it did at the end of last year. At the end of last year, you thought, all right, well, Brady Singer, tremendous second half. This guy could be an all-star. He's on the trajectory. You get Granky back for one more year. He's serviceable. And then, you know, we mix and match. Singer had a miserable first half. Ryan Yarbrough took a line line drive off the head and missed two months. Daniel Lynch finally shows some promise last few starts, and now he's out with a, a shoulder issue. So that's obviously a you know a, a red flag. Chris Bubich was great the first two and a half weeks. Maybe okay, former first round pick. He's finally turning the corner. One of our draft picks. Tommy John surgery. Poof, gone. So you're no closer now than you were, unfortunately, four months ago to contending. And they've got a lot of work to do, and there aren't a lot of answers. So. You know, we'll see what they do at the trade deadline. But unfortunately, they traded a role as Chapman, got a couple of decent pieces, but th- there just aren't a lot of great options right now for this team. That's the unfortunate truth. Now, Rick had a question earlier. He said, aren't the Royals supposed to get a new stadium? Oh, that's a whole other can of worms. Um, they're trying. Uh, you know, the, the owner is pushing extremely hard for it. It sounds like it is likely going to happen, and it'll be somewhere either downtown or downtown adjacent. Um, we're talking about, you know, five years from now. I mean, the lease in the Coliseum goes for longer than that, so they'll have to break it. But it's going to be years and years before that actually comes to fruition. So in an ideal world, they would get good within the next five years in time to move into a new stadium, and there'd be a ton of interest. And that would be the fairy tale, I think, for local fans and certainly for ownership. Um, So the answer is yes, they are supposed to get a new stadium, but nothing definite yet. Okay. And then the final question, because I know you have to go here, but uh, more surprising, the Rays and or the Orioles this season? The Orioles. Um, and it's, I don't think we shouldn't be completely shocked because remember the Orioles were in the playoff race last year until the right. very end. Last year was super surprising because nothing was expected. Um, but they brought everybody back and their young players have made steps, taken steps in the right direction. Uh, now they're calling up some of their prize prospects. So, um, you know, I, I think the Rays, nothing surprises me with Tampa because that organization, it's, I don't know what kind of magic pixie dust they got going on down there. Um, but every pitcher they develop is great yeah. and then blows out his arm and has to take a year off, unfortunately. But when they're great, they're great. Uh, they just, they do it right. Um, the way they develop, the way they scout, it is an A plus first class organization. So nothing surprises me with the rate. Yeah, obviously, you know, starting 13 and 0, that's always surprising. But the fact that they're in first place, not surprising. Um, no. The Orioles, a little bit more surprising, but not totally, again, based on what they did last year. Um, but that's going to be fun. That division, you know, when the Yankees are in last place and they're, what, six games over 500. Right. You know, that's that's <laughs> somebody's not going to make the playoffs in that group. So it's right. going to be fun to watch the last couple of months. No, they surely aren't. But listen, Scott, uh, thank you once again for joining us tonight. I know you have to run. I, obviously, you can come back on, and especially during the football season here, because I know Ryan would absolutely love it. I would love it as well because then we get a different you know, perspective for, some, for someone who's actually in Kansas City. But 
thank you for coming on, Scott. We do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, Ryan, there's your souvenir ball. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Scott. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Anytime. You're welcome. No problem. All right. And you guys have, let me switch this back over to this screen here. And you guys can see, of course, myself and Ryan as uh, we again. Thanks to you, Scott Reese, for coming on. Thank you to Ryan for getting our, our guest there. If you guys want to see him, of course you can on KCTV, Channel 5, CBS in Kansas City. Uh, again, sports director, Emmy winner, uh, author of the book, Where They Were Then, as I tried to say it a couple of times earlier before today. And uh, it got me a little tongue <laughs> Yeah, because it kind of like runs on. But Scott, a great guest. Uh, can't wait to have him back on there. But no, he, listen, he brought a lot of good insights to Kansas City. Obviously, we see that the you know, teams right now are starting to get into their groove um, as we're all getting ready for it to come around. We're, we're right there where training camps are, are getting ready to go underway here. So the the hotness, what it is, of the NFL season is is right around the corner. But speaking of hotness, which I don't think is, is as hot, I, I'm really surprised, Ryan, when it comes to the Washington Commanders, uh, <laughs> For a $5 billion sale that now half of the ownership goes to Magic Johnson, the other half to Josh Harris, which I would love to know how Sixers fans feel all about that. Um, but for what was the, you had mentioned earlier, the, what was it, $800 million or something ridiculous or, or the original price? I mean, Daniel Snyder bought the team and I think it was 98 or 99 for $800 million. They suck out loud for 25 years. Yeah. It's sold for $6.4 billion and he's walking away with five point. Well, well, he's still got to pay taxes and stuff, but $5.6 billion. I think he got more than a share of a return on the franchise, even though they completely stunk out loud the last 25 years. I'd like to be able to do that. Maybe I'll go buy a Wawa. You know what I mean? <laughs> go buy a Wawa for like whatever and then own it for 25 years. Have the place stink, make crappy sandwiches the whole nine yards, throw out a horrible product, and then sell it for an astronomical price. I just, I don't understand that at all. I I don't don't understand how in the hell are the commanders worth $6.4 billion? Somebody explain this to me. I just, I don't get it. So, and we're not even going to, we're not even sure if they're going to be called the commanders in a couple years because there's a lawsuit against them. For the name, so we we have we have no clue. Just just keep it the Washington Football Team because you can't go wrong. No, or like you said, District of Columbia University. There so, you go. There you go. So I, I I just like, but we we were talking before the show, just like with players, there is always somebody that's going to pay money for whatever, and in this case, they did. Just like I see on social media all the time, you know, NASCAR fan, you're a NASCAR fan from back in the day. The sport has changed. But I saw people on social media after the race on Sunday bitching about a couple of things. One was, oh, it was fixed, Martin Truex, this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, would you all still pay tickets you still pay money for the tickets to go see the product. Sure did. But you're, you're bitching about X, Y, and Z. Well, they don't go. You know, just like with your football team. If you don't like the product and you don't want to pay the money to go watch the product, don't go. Exactly. So 
I don't know what's going to happen with the new ownership. You know, maybe they'll get them back on the right track, but you know, you always have to hold your breath. Nope, that you do. And by the way, we'd like to thank uh, Mushtaki, the authentic gyros or heroes, depending on, on who likes to say which way. Also for Pete's Famous Pizza, both products out of Philadelphia. We thank you for them coming on as a sponsor. We, uh, we had Pete on a couple weeks ago. It was a lot of fun, him and Gus. Uh, so those guys, you know, thanks for, for coming on as a sponsor. We really do appreciate it. Along, of course, with Tampa Joe's. Um, long time and, and obviously a lot of the live shows this nfl season will be there from tampa joe so we appreciate everyone that goes out there to 9316 anderson road in lovely tampa right off the airport as i always say a hop skip and a jump from there so we'd like to thank tampa joe's for always staying here with us mikey's group philly to south i know those guys are getting ready to get amped up and ramped up as 97.5 will be making the trip down which will be a lot of fun um possibly a couple of guests uh, Ronnie should be joining us back again uh, here during the football season. I know he's getting ready for his college uh, debut. So Ronnie Gent, uh, hopefully he's doing a lot of great things there as he's ramping up for that. And then his basketball team. Um, also for, if you guys go down to Tropicana field and you live here in the Tampa Bay region, Krabby's Beachside bites down there on the concourse level, they support the show. We like to support them as well. Uh, great food. They also have the crab pretzel that's made by Penguin Pretzels. So if you guys want a taste of what Penguin Pretzels taste like, then while you're there at Tropicana Field, go down to the concourse level, stop by Krabby's Beachside, and tell Turtle that we sent you and tell them to say hello, and, and who knows what Turtle will end up doing for you. But thanks to everyone who, who supports the show, and of course those who listen in nationwide and international over on Sports Radio 102.9 The Game. We do appreciate it as well. And uh, I ran into a couple of folks in Vegas, Ryan, while I was out there. And a couple of them mentioned the, the station, uh, which it, it was humbling because it was really nice that they actually talked about it. And, uh, it, it, again, Vegas was a lot of fun. We got to go to the uh, Summer League as well on the NBA side and uh, watch some of the stuff over there. Um, busy week. It was, it was a lot of fun. It went by really fast. I can't wait for the TBL season to start all over again, which uh, for those who don't know, I am the broadcast partner. Uh, for the TBL, and it was just fun hanging out with the staff. I mean, it was just a great time. It was hot, but it's funny because it, it's like here you burn. Like you just straight sizzle is the way it is here in Florida. You know what, Ryan, is you lived here many years ago. But in Vegas, it's like, and Debbie said it the best, it feels like there's an exhaust pipe that follows you and just constantly blowing the hot air out of the exhaust pipe because it, it is, it's hot. But we didn't sweat as much unless you really stand out there. The only thing in Vegas, listen, you guys can do whatever you feel like. It's Vegas. That's why you go out there to have fun. But good Lord, the skunk weed was ungodly ridiculous. Horrible. Well, I, I'm sorry. I'm not walking around 115 degree, 113 degree heat. I don't care if it's a dry heat. I don't care if I don't sweat. It's still 113 degrees out. So now, and people play golf and that stuff out there. And it, yeah. no, not me and the heat just don't mix anymore. Just like with Florida, you know, you wake up in the morning, you take a shower, you get ready for work and you open your door and you're sweating already. It's like yep. walking into pea soup and that's just what it is. Oh, I forgot to mention about Daniel Snyder. The NFL just tagged him with a $60 million fine for the investigation that they did into the organization. So let me get this straight. He makes five point some million dollars, right? 
off the sale and you're fining him $60 million. All right. Right. Yeah. That's, again, that's pocket change now to him. That's pocket change. It is. But I, so here's, and, and Ryan, you're great at this. Do now, does the problem go away with the commanders with Dan Snyder selling his team and, or because a lot of the problems are still in that front office. Does this change things? Because we know that there's been, there's still a lot of lawsuits that are, are pending a lot of them by the cheerleaders, a lot of them by the, the female organization, female staff members that are within the organization. So there's still a lot of things to uncover here. So it's a, is it one of those things that they pretty much told Dan Snyder, well, listen, here's how we're going to solve this. We're going to slap you in the hand, $60 million fine, $5 million, you walk away, kumbaya, see you later. Well, I think the new ownership will probably bring in all their own people. So, you know, they might clean house to start anew. You know, I mean, has anything changed with the Cowboys for the last 20-some-odd years no. since Jerry Jones is the owner? No. They still haven't made a Super Bowl. They still even haven't made it to the championship game in the NFC. So, again, if you're going to sell a team and you're going to pay that much money for that team and the organization, you're not going to keep anybody around from the previous regime. That would be asinine and stupid. Unless they have like legitimate, good and decent people that were not affiliated with the investigation where they say, all right, these are good football people. Let's bring them back. Just right. like with the coaching staff, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. It, it remains to be seen, but this is what the commanders fans have been clamoring for, for years. It's finally happened. I'm sure it's like Mardi Gras in DC as far as football goes. So we'll just have to wait and see, you know, don't expect any sort of big turnaround. I mean, don't expect them to go like 12 and 5 or something like that this year. I it's going to take a little while for them to get back on track. I think so as well. And I mean, I know for maybe for Juan Rivera though, it, it kind of gives him a little bit of comfort that Dan Snyder is gone so he can start having these players believe in this team because listen, you can say whatever you want to when you have a toxic environment and you know this, it's hard. You know, being truthful and and for those who who may not like the conversation you know you can always end up tuning out and and tuning away but for those who enjoy the conversation you have a toxic environment no one wants to be there i don't care who you are i don't care how much money you make i don't care whatever it is you just don't want to be there because you're going to be just as much tagged within that organization as much as the people up in the front office and again my heart goes out to a lot of the women that had to deal with so much nonsense from him and this organization all these years because it's not fair to them either. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. You put him in a situation where none of those women wanted to be. So now he's gone. Hopefully the fan base really appreciates that, you know, what the NFL has done. But speaking of appreciation as well, because I'm going to keep riding this horse. So Roger Goodell, boy, the man who everyone just loves to dislike and or hate. So um, he has been put in the mix as far as leaking out the emails to get Chucky basically rid of from the Raiders because of what? Oh yeah. All this new world order change. So, you know, it's funny. I would love and absolutely love to see what they're going to do with Roger Goodell, which is probably next to nothing. 
but he wonders why he's the one most hated commissioner out of all commissioners in any major league sport. But again, what made you think that you were going to get over on the fans and, and that stupid nonsense? He's just, you know, you talk about a not genuine person. That is Roger Goodell. Absolutely not genuine. And when he came to Philly, I'm glad that Philly fans, the year that we went to the Super Bowl and won, gave him the business because he goes out there every single year trying to showboat and everything else. And here now you got caught with a hand in a cookie jar. Now, of course, nothing else has been talked about since it, it leaked out. I think it was about a week ago. But again, something should be done about it because he should be no different than anybody else. Well, if anything you could say about the Goodell regime and who he brings in is the fact that it's inconsistent. So I don't think there would be as much stink if there wouldn't be the inconsistency on his part and some of his top officials. So you never know what really happened. You never know, you're never going to know what really happened in that particular situation. It's just – you know, you, you'll never know the truth. So um, this is, he's going into his, I think this is going to be his 18th year as commissioner. I don't know how much longer he'll be on the table as commissioner. But he just gave so, him another five-year deal. Beyond that, though, um, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, and you're talking about, you know, the commanders too, and you, you feel sorry for the females, which – I do. It was absolutely ludicrous and beyond words, but I, I sort of liken it to, you know, if anybody's been following the Northwestern <laughs> Northwestern athletic department with the football hazing and yeah. the baseball coach, and they obviously have an internal problem. I challenge anybody to go read in detail what the investigation has brought out. And if all of it's true, my goodness, then shame on the coaching staffs. I mean, it's kind of hard for me to believe. And now it's coming out that Pat Fitzgerald knew about it, took part in it. And it's kind of hard for me to believe, just like with the Joe Paternal situation. He obviously knew he wanted people to keep it quiet. It went away and then it came to the surface. And now, you know, you, you always think that nothing is going to come out. We always keep things in-house. The age of social media, you can't, you can't do that anymore. Right. Eventually, someone's going to come forward. And I, I'm surprised no one came forward sooner. Maybe they were afraid. I don't know. But, you know, again, with Godell, it's just too inconsistent. Ray Rice... Man never played football again after that. You know, you pay, you know, you find this guy for this for the same thing, mm-hmm. but then in this case over here, it's a different and then they all they always come back and say, Well, each situation is different. No, it's not. The rule has to apply the same to everybody. And I think that's where people get aggravated and pissed off at Cadell is look, man, just just like in a football game, Angel, if you're gonna call it one way, call it both ways. You know, you can't call a defensive pass interference on this guy over here, and then 20 minutes later, it's the same situation, but you're not calling anything. That's where the inconsistency comes in. And, you know, we'll, we'll, again, to be determined, we'll just have to see what happens. Whether he leaked the information or not, 
you'll never know. It'll it'll never come to fruition. So of course not, because it's easier to hide and deflect than anything else. And we've come to find out with a lot of things that we're seeing today in, in our own society. And I, I won't get into the political side because I, I don't do it here on the show, nor do I want to view that opinion because again, it, it is for the moment the, the nonsense everybody has to go through. But speaking of uh, you know, when it comes to penalties and stuff. How about the NBA, by the way? And, and I'll get to James Harden here in a second. So we got a couple minutes here left before the show ends. But how about the NBA finally deciding to say the flop show is over and we're going to start finding you guys for the whole, you know, phantom of the flopper and everything else because they're they're basically tired of it. Well, it, it for me, it'll be to see how they apply the rule. If somebody flops, can they go to the replay and see if it was – this is, this is where it gets tricky for me. If it's a flop and it's a flagrant flop, do they have to go to the video replay to see if, oh, well, maybe the guy actually did, like, bump into him. Is it an offensive foul or did the guy flop? Is it going to be reviewable? I don't know. But I think it's a good rule. I think guys will back off on it now. I don't think you'll see a lot of – put it this way. I don't think you'll see a lot of flopping going forward now that they've applied that rule. So, and I'm glad they did because in soccer around the world, especially like in English football, the English premier league, if you flop and the ref sees it and it's a flagrant flop, they, they will yellow card you. There's your first warning. So something had to be done and I'm glad they did it. So we'll just have to see how the refs institute the rule. Just, just like any rule, just like in the NFL, you know, the guy hold him, was it holding or was it clear pass interference? Right. So, and that's not reviewable. So, well, the one thing they did say was they, they were going to review it. If, if it becomes a, a coach's challenge, uh, which they're still talking about it. If it turns out to be that it was an actual flop, then they will lose a challenge, um, and in a timeout, I believe as well. So they're, they're still trying to iron it out, but I think they need to come on for years. A lot of the players, they, they talked about how it was. We saw it during the playoffs, during the playoffs, it happened a ton and you can just see it over and over again. So I think the referees are just getting tired of, of having to deal with it. Obviously the fans are, are, are making themselves opinionated to say that we know we've had enough. And, and, and I agree. They just have to do something about it. Now, James Harden, the the huh, the guy that's becoming a situation in Philadelphia because now Daryl Morey says that it, the only way he's going to get out of there unless it comes out to be a good trade. Apparently, he decides Harden by saying he decides to put out some cryptic message today out there saying that, you know, kind of like stay tuned to see what I'm going to end up doing, which I think is, it's absolutely absurd and it doesn't make any sense to me either. But again, that that's what players end up doing. I think the bigger problem now is because the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, all your Major League sports have allowed for these players to basically write their own future. And when they say, I want to be traded, they'll let it do so. Now, Daryl Moore is like, listen, you can't do that here in Philadelphia. Nick Nurse is going to have his hands full as a first-year head coach. But again, no matter who picks up Harden, Harden, I think, honestly, thought that all these teams are going to reach out to him. These 36 NBA teams are going to be like, no, no, we want him, we want him. Not one, not one jumped on it, including his former Houston Rockets team. And and you've talked about it, Ryan, uh, before the playoffs started. You talked about it hard, and you also talked about Embiid. 
What is your take when it comes to this wholehearted saga? Well, nobody wants to take on the contract. Right. I mean, who, who out there is worth a swap? You know, the only thing the, I'm thinking now, the only person I can think of is Dame Lillard. And he's made it specifically clear that he only wants to go to the Heat. So I think Harden's in a hole. I think Daryl Morey and the Sixers are in a hole. And, you know, just, just as big a news as Embiid coming out and saying, I want to win a championship, whether that's here in Philly or if it's not, then, you know, and I've said that the last two years, eventually Joel Embiid is going to get sick and tired of not winning a championship. And to be quite honest, after that performance in game seven, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Against the Celts. It was the Celts, right? Yeah. 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 I'm sure fans would probably maybe not be all that upset at both of them leaving. So the Sixers are going to have to try and figure something out or, or who they could trade for to do a swap. Who's going to take on that contract? I just don't see anybody. And if it's if it's Embiid and Harden again, and they don't have like pieces around them, which let's be honest, they really still to this point don't have anybody. Correct. Then Embiid will walk. And if if Harden comes back, is Nick Nurse going to let him play the way he wants to play? Because obviously Doc Rivers didn't do that. You could tell from that post-game press conference. Right. James Harden wants to play a certain way. And he was not allowed to do that in the year plus that he was in Philly under Doc Rivers. So if he does come back, is he going to be happy? Is he going to play they want the way Nick Nurse wants him to play? And, you know, is, is MB going to come into the season like, well, it's me and Harden again, and we really don't have anybody else around us. And how effective is the team going to be? You don't know. So it's gone from bad, I think, to a little bit worse with the entire situation that's surrounding the Sixers right now. Because I don't think that have any clue what the hell they want to do right now, to be quite honest with you. I really don't. No, I don't think so either. Unfortunately, it's for the Sixers who are going to go into another season, which we'd hope coming in and coming off of the season that he had. Obviously, Joel Embiid being the MVP did not play like it during the playoffs. I mean, anybody can say whatever he wants to. He just didn't. Ryan hit it on the head. He talked about it over and over again. He, he just didn't. Anybody else, people can lie to themselves and say, no, but he did. But he didn't. He just, he just didn't show up. But the Sixers, we thought that this season, coming into it, it wasn't going to be any drama. You know, now we got Nick Nurse. A couple of his minor league coaches have also been hired by the Sixers staff. So the, the Sixers are really in as far as trying to win that NBA championship since the 80s to bring one back to Philly. I mean, the closest one was with Allen Iverson. Obviously, we came up short with that one as well. But at this point here, the Sixers, they're – it, it could be a non-relevant year this season. If they can't get their act straight, if Daryl Moore can't figure out what he's going to do with, with Harden, it, this could be a really non-factor year with uh, with the Sixers. And obviously everybody else is stepping up. Who knows if, I mean, obviously Jimmy wants Embiid in Miami. 
Could it possibly happen? And there could be a possibility, but the same way with the Harden contract, you would almost have to have a three-way blockbuster trade in order for someone to absorb. The Sixers would have to absorb, and then the third team would also have to absorb as well. Well, here's the thing. The Celtics let go the heart of their team, right? Right. I mean, they they let him they let him walk. So it was it was basically a trade for Przingis, right? So the Przingis trade was to combat what Embiid does. Is Przingis going to slow Embiid down? Hell no. Right. But at least it's a big body that the Celtics now have to go up against what the Sixers have in Embiid and possibly against Giannis in Milwaukee. What have the Sixers done? I mean, they, they've been talking about maybe moving Tobias Harris. They haven't done it. Maxie's name has come up. And when, again, you go and take a look at the bench and what they have, they just don't have anybody. They don't scare anybody. And it's almost like, as a Sixers fan, you, you sit back and you're like, what the hell are they doing? When are they going to make a move? When are they going to try and make moves to better this team? And you just, you just don't see it yet. It's, and you can't – if Harden comes back and it's just Embiid and Harden, the way that this season ended last year, if they start off rough, they're going to hear it. They're going to hear it left and right because if they have to get off to a good start. I just – there's just no win-win in this for the Sixers right now. You know, you, and you see – you see what CJ said about the Eagles fans. I don't know if anybody saw his post, um, but he he, I, he the quote was the crux of it was I hate the Eagles fans because they're brutal. Right. That was a former player. So Harden doesn't want to be here, Angel. You know that. Yeah. I know that. Does Embiid want to be here? I, yeah, I don't know about now. He wants yeah. to win a championship and. Again, that I heard Philly Sports Radio, Embiid and Harden, and I'm sure the fans, they're sick of the process. Enough of the process. We've heard it for the last seven years. Let's bury the process, and let's start. Let's let's start something else. Let's get. We, we talk about the product all the time. Like in the NFL, you don't like the product, don't go to the games. Sooner or later, that's what's gonna. We saw it with the Flyers. Sooner or later, it's gonna happen with the Sixers. They're not going to go to the games because nothing has been done and they don't like the product. Right. Nope, it's true. But as we get ready to wrap up the show here, quickly the hour is upon us. We'd like to thank once again Scott Reese from KCTV there, Channel 5 CBS in Kansas City. We can't thank him enough for coming on. Again, Emmy winner, sports director for KCTV. Along with next week, Michael Wilson, the former Harlem Globetrotter, will be with us next Thursday night. That's going to be a great show. So if you're a basketball fan, by all means, please tune in. The fifth quarter podcast is with him and Sandy. They both are the host co-hosts of the fifth quarter podcast that you guys can listen to right here on Sports Royal 12.9 The Game, which I do appreciate it. Also, Jim Jackson. Yes, JJ will be with us in the month of August, along with Will Howard, the K-State football player, uh, quarterback. He will be with us as well. A couple other guests that are going to be uh, coming on with us here in the month of August, along with Jeremiah Dixon. You guys may not know of him, but he has an interesting story to tell when he switched from one college to the other, and he will be coming on as well shortly. So with that all being said, 
Thank you to my lovely producer over on Studio B for Debbie, for my co-host, the KC fan who got his football in the, in the air, thanks to Scott Reese. And for myself, we thank you all for tuning in again nationally, internationally. We thank you all for listening in over on Amp Radio, Sports Radio 102.9 The Game, also right here live on Broad Street South each and every Thursday. And again, the 200th episode is coming up. So with that being said, enjoy your evening, enjoy your weekend, and we will see you all next week.